Okay, thank you guys. I pray that uh, the study's been going well for you. Thank you for those who sent me the pay dirt uh, responses. I read them all. Um, just trying to get some feedback. I appreciate the work you put into that. It's very important. <clears throat> so we have one more week in summarizing chapters 8 and 9. So tonight we'll uh, cover what you read in, on chapter 7 talking about those roles. I promised you that I would expand a little bit on from what we did on the men, those godly men, and what the men are, how they're going to lead you. And I realized that that was leaders of the church. But in the saying that, that your husbands, your men, I know how the other way to say that, maybe fiancés, should have those character qualities. And I pray that um, that you'll be aware of that as you're, helping them go through that whole process. So what I did was I, I just added a couple things. I put that on your PowerPoint. And I they're not really designed to, to sort of um, have a long uh, commentary about each one of those things. I just wanted you to be aware of some of these things that are critical because I realize that uh, one of the greatest destructions of the church is sexual sin. And I just wanted you to be aware of some of these things as I've kind of taken advantage of that men's roles and then adding on a little bit about pornography. Supposedly the last, I didn't look, oh yeah, the last page is on women and pornography from ACBC. So that article, I would pray that you're going to read this week and maybe even give me some feedback um, on what helped you, what you were surprised about maybe. But those will be things that uh, you would not think typically that men would, or women would be involved in pornography, but they are. And it's just part of the sin nature and those who live away from God. That's really the idea. So anyway, I want to talk a little bit about, um, on divine design, I want to talk a little bit about the spiraling down to infidelity just for a brief moment. And then we're going to go over the book review, and I pray that you have some questions there. We'll actually go to uh, our group discussion questions in the back. I have a few of those I'd like to ask, get some input as you were reading. And who would like to open us in prayer? Anybody? All right, Pastor, just wanted me to check to make sure you guys were listening. You know, just perfect, perfect. Father, thank you for my sisters and friends in this room, and thank you for your glorious design for um, the marriage couple and for men and women. It was all purposeful. It was all uh, divine, even starting in the garden. It was just overwhelming, beautiful. And so help us to um, protect our roles and to trust your word and to um, you know, bring you glory in our roles as we function that way, as we love our spouses, as we um, continue to work uh, together, and especially in these kind of days where the world's upside down only maybe years away from attacking Christianity. And so I pray that we and our families, our children and grandchildren, will be prepared through our obedience and faithfulness. May you be glorified today for what is said and done in Christ's name. Amen. So I wanted to talk briefly about some of these things, and there is a spiraling down, just so you kind of know that, that, that infidelity doesn't just show up. There is sort of a process that happens and help people through that a number of times, and I just wanted you to be aware of it. I call it the six D's uh, to sexual ten, and the spiraling down, and Adams was really good about his book, and he talks about the spiraling down, and then to reverse that and spiral, you know, work your way back up, 
So it's not like we flipped the switch, we were in pain and agony for years and years and years, and then we want a 10-minute fix by flipping a switch and a magic trick, and we're okay. Sometimes it takes time to walk back and walk through some of those things in our restoration. Uh, the first one that is pretty common is that there's disappointment that's building in the marriage. That's usually what happens at first. It's just this grumbling. This is not what I thought it was going to be. It's not as good as I thought it was going to be. You know, he's not, he's not what he said he was going to be. And it becomes uh, disappointment and grumbling in your heart. And that's where it starts. And that's usually where it has to stop, too. That's where you have to try to capture that thinking. You have to start working against that. Because I've tried to appeal to many people in, in premarital, I do all the premarital assessments, that you sure this is right because this is a one-and-done thing. This is your spouse. I mean, this is, this is a lifetime thing. And you just can't trade them off. I know people do that in the name of Jesus. It's sinful. I pray you won't do that. But um, So disappointment is what starts stirring in their hearts. And there's some factors, of what I call them risk factors, that I wrote down a number of them. One of them was the lack of them of emotional satisfaction. That's what they do. They just, it's all emotional. In their heart, they wanted more. They want something more exciting. Wasn't, and they're thinking in terms of what they see on TV, maybe, or some other testimonies of some other people, whoever. And then there's poor communication. A lot of times it's just superficial. There's no real definite communication. And, you'll, and this is a little bit redundant, but communication builds intimacy. And so you keep the lines of communication open your marriage and expressing your love and expressing your, your appreciation for each other. And, you, you know, you're very, it really helps in your uh, intimacy. There's low commitment. A lot of times they're just superficial commitment. Uh, opportunity. Um, so they just are just opportunists. They just take advantage of whatever's that opportunity. Nothing's planned to be. Um, you know, to, to have an intimate relationship. There's no planning, a sense of dating and, and walk, taking walks and, and spending time together. Uh, there's, then it kind of spirals down to sexual dissatisfaction, all because of their expectations. Um, and sometimes there's a personal history of infidelity that a person hasn't really worked through. Um, and I try to find that a lot of times in, in, in the... Uh, assessments to try to figure out if there's porn or what other history that they're bringing into the marriage. And I'm good now. I'm good now. I'm going to be married. And it's just not true. Is it unrealistic expectation? Unrealistic expectations is another one. It's, it's huge. So they have all these expectations um, that, you know, that they're building the marriage on rather than the covenant and the, and the Christ centered love that you have for Jesus Christ, that, that love that's, that's really uh, divine, that stuff that God has given us, that he's sanctified. Well, actually, it's one of the only two ordained institutions in, in the Bible, that marriage is that important. It's that sacred to God. And instead of that being the focus and in our obedience to God, knowing that the day is coming, that we'll, the trumpet will call, we'll be going home, or we'll face Christ you know, uh, at uh, resurrection. But either way the vast majority of your life is going to be eternal. Um, so really, here's the point that I think we need to make, and I'll just keep moving, but no one's exempt from sexual failure, no matter how spiritual they think they are. So you say, well, I just got my, my husband, he's, he's got an MDiv, and 
my other husband, he's been in ministry this long. And, and I know him. I just know him. It wouldn't, let me tell you something. It, no one's exempt from any, be any stage of this. So you have to be engaging in your marriage to protect them. Here's the second one. Oh, here's the solution one here is must have a biblical framework to handle disappointments. Have a, have a biblical framework to handle disappointments in your marriage. It takes communication. You have to talk some of these things through. Maybe you need help. Maybe there's intervention. Maybe you need somebody to mediate, counseling, whatever. But have a biblical framework for working through these things. Being, remember I said you always have ready to repent, willing to forgive. Those two things are key issues in your life. And if you only do that in your Christian life, you will really turn out fine. Uh, number two is uh, dabbling in the life of an opposite sex. Here's what happens, and we're spiraling down. And so it's kind of always starts with the disappointment. The seeds are planted there and kind of keep growing. And, uh, and so then there's some dangerous things that are involved. And like, for instance, he doesn't, uh, people might even say uh, that he doesn't love me anymore. But basically, when we're talking about dabbling, we're pushing into the boundaries of the opposite sex where we shouldn't be. Okay, so we're spending too much time together, um, and people, they still they go out to dinner, they go, they do all kinds of things together regularly, I'm not talking about a one-time thing, I'm talking about regularly spend time together with the opposite sex, and it's just too dangerous, you just don't do that. I um, had a, a lady at First Baptist West Hollywood in 1996, and she was very needy, wanted counseling, and, and uh, she found out that I had some time with Jehovah's Witnesses back in the 70s. And so she was like, ah, you know, I'm really, the reason I'm needy is because I have Jehovah's Witness uh, background, and I know you have, have one. I was a pastor at that church, and, and I wasn't the pastor, but there was 21 of us at that church. And um, so I did the care and counseling. And once I heard her story and I saw how needy she was, I said, well, you got to meet with my wife, you know. To work through some of these things. Oh, no, no, no. I don't want to meet with her. I want to meet with you because you're Jehovah's Witness. And there's some common barriers there. I said, no, 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 no. I don't want, I'm not doing that. So once I figured it out, I just said, you need to meet with her. She goes, well, she has never been a Jehovah's Witness. I said, but that's the Bible that's going to fix your problem. Okay, so she knows the Bible. I know the Bible. We know the Bible. That's what we go to. It's not Jehovah's Witness commonality that we're going to fix your problem. I just tell you this because it wasn't, uh, what, a year or two later she slept with three or four guys in the church. And she targeted one of our lay pastors. And, uh, and he didn't repent, and we had to put him out of the church. But, I mean, it could have been disastrous. So I just never violate that. And I realize as a, as, as a pastor slash shepherd um, keeper, I, I try to be careful with those kind of opposite sex relationships. Because what's happening is that you start dabbling into those lies. You start lying to yourself. You start, uh, you know, telling yourself it's okay. But basically, it's just it's the inappropriateness of being part of this other relationship. And, you know, it's, you start talking a lot. You start getting involved. You have some friendship relationships. You start building, and it becomes dangerous. So you need to use caution and respect in being too close to the opposite sex. You may even be endeared to them. You may really love them. They really, they're great friends in the Lord, you know, but you're very careful. You're just very careful not to let that happen. And men are sometimes duped into a lot of these things. And women, maybe you have a little more discernment, but uh, just something you need to be aware of. Cindy's helped me. He's like, 
that motive of that is probably not going to be healthy. You should watch out for this or that. She's helped me for 28 years in that, navigating that in ministry. Um, number four is in the spiraling down is delighting in relationship with the opposite sex. You're just, you're just really intrigued. Um, actually, you're, you're minimizing the feelings that you have, but um, you're, you're intrigued by this. You really are. You're like, wow, I really like this, you know, this friend, and we're just friends. Don't worry about it. Um, and then I just want a listening ear, and I'm just trying to be the friend. But here's some warning signs. When you really look forward to being with that person, it's dangerous. Uh, when you go out of your way to interact with the person, it's dangerous. When you rearrange your schedule to see them, it's very dangerous. When you grow increasingly critical of your spouse in the process of that, now all of a sudden you feed your, the feeding fuel to that. Uh, when you look for ways to be away from your own spouse, you don't really enjoy being with your own spouse, you've got marital problems. You need to help. And they may be the problem initially, but you need to work for that because... Remember, the door was shut when you were married, and that's the one that God wants you to have till death do you part. That's what he wants. Uh, when your recreation, recreational life becomes exclusive from your spouse, people take separate vacations all the time. When your desires to be intimate start fading, becomes problematic. And so I say honesty in the marriage is a disinfectant. It's being very open and honest, confronting, hey, is this a problem? Not accusatory, but you're, you're asking questions, you're appealing. Is this a problem because I see this, 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 and that? Can we talk about that? And be willing to forgive, and you know, you're ready to repent and willing to forgive while you're doing that. It also provides opportunities for repentance and forgiveness. That's where you want to catch this thing in your marriage. And a lot of people are struggling. There's a lot of areas where it becomes really dangerous. Number three... Denial that relationship violations are real problems. Now, this is when you're starting, the trajectory is running to infidelity. It's making, it was spiraling down. Now you're moving towards the sin. And um, so you kind of minimize your relationship or your feelings for that person. You just keep moving away. So you keep lying to yourself over and over again. You procrastinate from really coming clean. Well, I wanted to say something. I wanted to tell, I wanted to tell you, but I never had a time. I just figured it would upset you. And just keep lying to themselves over and over again. Um, here, the, you remember that you won't tell yourself the truth. So I usually tell the men who are involved in this that you can't trust what you think and feel and tell yourself because you won't tell yourself the truth. Um, and your plan of action, whatever it was, well, I planned on telling her this time. I was planning, as soon as the holidays were over, I was planning on, and I hear all of it. And I just say, it's, your plans are going fa- to fail for sure. And you can expect conflict in your marriage for sure because you're procrastinating. You just come clean and stand up like a man and do the right thing. And then number two, discovery of the secret relationship. All of a sudden, boom, the bomb goes off. It all comes clean. Numbers 32, 23, be sure this, your sin will find you out. Lord, it's a setup to cause pain and agony. I know you don't believe that. You may not, but... This is how God preserves marriages sometimes, to blow them up, to fix them up. That's really what he does. And so uh, it's, you're, you're set up for exposure and confrontation at this time. Uh, there's no lying your way out of this. And um, pretty soon you're laying out all the facts about that. So the solution is to come clean by repenting. Repentance leads to life. Even if your spouse wants death for you and the marriage, 
Okay, I mean that. I mean, there are people that say, I just want him to fall off the end of the earth, or I just want to blow his brains out, or I just want to, and some of them follow through on that, you know. Um, and I know that's just some initial feelings, um, pretty strong feelings, but, you know, people get emotional about that, and they take it personal. I'm going to talk about that in this next little slide. So um, it's important. And the last part is despair. Finally, it blows up, and now there's despair, there's hurt, there's betrayal, and uh, there's just, you have to handle the blow-up. You have to re resist justifying and blame shifting no matter how long it takes. Some people, it takes them a year or two. I don't care how long it takes. they got to stay in the game as long as they can. Because here's what I tell them. Listen, no matter if they divorce you or not, you still have to serve the Lord. You still have to repent. You still have to get your life right. You still have to face eternity. You still have to stay in this thing to the very end no matter what the consequences are. You can't go around those consequences. And so we humbly accept the fact that your, your heart was corrupt long ago and you've been free-falling towards the sin. There's no, I think even Pastor talks about, you know, you're, you're not falling, you know, from up here and you're, you know, it just happened. I don't know how it happened. No, you've already been sort of spiraling down. You've already been free-falling and you fall from down here. Your heart's already been that direction and it was just inevitable for a crash and burn. You can protect your marriage. You can be the inspiring part of the love. You can inject um, part of that relationship. And um, you don't need to need your husband. You need Christ. Uh, but you still can, you can protect the relationship at all costs the best you can. So you trust the Lord with the, with the outcome. Questions, thoughts, or comments about that? That was just like an overview, but you can see it didn't just happen. This is usually a, a long journey of deception. The devil gets involved in it, uses the world. They can see their inactivity spiritually. They can see, the devil can see what's going on. The problem with being Baptist and Reformed is that we sometimes we don't function like there's a real enemy. And the devil's really at work. And he loves to work in our church because we love the word of God, because we're we're unified, we we believe in the God, and we, we function together like that. So he loves to find uh, the weak uh, chink in armor and go after us. So don't minimize that. You do your part faithfully, and that's how you resist the devil. Now let's talk about caught in porn. This is another one. I just wanted to get all this in before 730 because I want to spend time in the review, book review. And this is huge, by the way. I don't know if anybody told you, but... It's probably the number one sin we deal with in the church. And sometimes I get three appointments a week. I'm talking about extra appointments a week. So, and most all of them, the last three, they're all porn. And uh, sometimes they're heterosexual, sometimes they're homosexual porn, but they're porn, always porn. Our porn is involved in the person's life and their relationship, and they think getting married is going to solve the problem. I think I touch on that here. But... Notice what Dr. Harry um, Skombarker, he says this, pain is an appointment with God. I hope you get this. For him to do his deepest work in you and your husband and your marriage relationship for the glory of God. Sometimes pain is God's deepest, does his deepest work in your pain. Now, if you take all the blame, if you want to be the victim and you want to live like that, you're not going to get the most out of this. You're not going to have a marriage that you've never seen before in your, in your life. But God will do this. He'll, he will untangle, unravel, and break down 
the, the sinful part of that relationship to build it up. If he's got two people committed to trusting him in that process. He uses Ephesians 5.13. But when anything's exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And it, for anything that becomes visible is light. And so, again, we're trying to figure out where's the light? What do we need to, uh, what do we, what do we need to do? Sometimes it's nice to be able to sit down and just say, hey, how am I doing? What, you know, how am I doing as the wife? How am I doing in, in, the, in the marriage? How are we doing? What do you think about? You know, especially if they haven't expressed how happy they are, how much they love you, how much committed they are. They're still wooing and swooing over you like maybe Paul is with Carrie. I mean, that, you know, you just get, it's all new, you know. But, uh, but it, you know, sometimes you've got you to gotta sit down and just say, how am I doing? You know, how are we doing? And it's really helpful to start a conversation. Let's talk about the 10 implications caught in porn. I want you just to, you don't have to have a lot of input on this. I just want you to see the truth about this. Because you don't have to wait for the problem to explode on you before you're actually engaging. I want you to see and have some insight from a biblical perspective into your conflict. And I'm just going to go through them pretty quick. There's 10 of them. Number one, porn appeals to the heart of a carnal man, regardless of the sincerity of the faith and love for his family. I see it all the time. It's just, it's brewing in the heart. It just stirs. It's there. It's, it's permanent. They can't get out of it. They're trapped. But to, if, they, if you took a polygraph on how much you love your family, they pass it. It's, it's a dichotomy of, of it's, it's delusion, basically, but it's a duplicitous kind of living where they, they have two, two lives. And so that there might be sincere, oh, no, no, I really love the Lord. No, you love the Lord, but you're doing this all the time. And he said, no idolater, no sexual immoral person will enter the kingdom of God. And he was talking to the church, by the way. It's very dangerous. Number two, the sin is primarily against heaven before it's against you. In that order. Some people take it personal. Oh, oh no, he did, he's got you he doing porn. And no, oh, it's all about me. And now I'm just not good enough. And listen. You pick anybody in your mind as the most beautiful, wonderful woman in the world and plug that into your spouse, and a person would still do porn. It means nothing. It's not the same. It just doesn't mean anything. They're still going to do porn because in their mind, they want more and more and more and more. It's kind of the, the uh, Job passage where sin just wants more and more. It's, it just it doesn't equate. And so it's really against heaven. The sin was always designed to be against God. And it fell over on you. The porn reveals what they really love, which is self, not what they hate. Well, you must just hate this relationship. No, no, I can tell you they could, they could all pass a polygraph and say they love their spouse. They love their family. They do. But they don't hate their sin enough. They love themselves too much. And I usually start at that angle to help them. But I just want you to know it's not a direct attack to you. The sin primarily reveals the condition of their spiritual life, not automatically uh, their disdain for their marriage. So remember that. It's, it's revealing who they really are on the inside because who you are in secret is who you really are to God. And so you have to be real careful. You have to be very careful to understand that if you take everything about you, it's all about you, then you've, you've missed the vertical, the eternal perspective. You miss that. and You can't help them. You can't help them. And so it just reveals their real spiritual life. I, can't, I don't have a number of how many pastors I've helped in serious porn problems in 28 years. I don't, I don't even have a number. It's impossible for you to know. 
but it's that, it's that prevalent. The sin of porn is not about cheating on you as much as it is about their fantasizing obsessions. Once I figured that out, I can really start helping them. Because they're in love with something that's not real. They're obsessing over something that can't happen. No, that movie star doesn't care about you. In fact, they hate you. They probably call the police on you. It means something. You're, you're in love. You're obsessing over something that's nothing. What? Yeah, that's right. And so, again, it's, an, it's a heart that's engaging in carnal activity, and they're not spiritual like they say they are. I've, had so, I've gone through these debates so many times with pastors and theologians and everybody else who gets involved thinking they're exempt from this. The more I learn, the more protected I am. No, you're not. I say the more you practice what you learn, the more protected you are. And number six, I think it is, the sin is more about lusting than committing physical adultery in a relationship. I'll debate you on this because there are two different words used, and even though Jesus said that you're lusting in your heart, you already committed adultery, what he's saying is that this is what you already want. You're indicting yourself. He's not equating the same as intercourse, having intercourse and, and fornicating or having intercourse and adultery, and he is with lusting in your heart. Those aren't the same. Those aren't real uh, divorce um, conditions. Uh, specifically, I would say the non-repentance, the unrepentance is more dangerous than just the sexual sin. So don't think it's the same. I've, I've had so many people who are psychologized come in and want to debate me because they can find a psychologist up and down Timberlake all day to tell them that they have grounds for divorce. But that's not a biblical, you can't equate that in the scripture. Okay, plus I'm looking for reconciliation. You should be looking for reconciliation. You shouldn't be looking for a way to get out of your marriage. Because when God has his way, it'll be the best marriage you ever had. Um, and so think about that. Sexuality in marriage or fornicating never satisfies or eliminates the sin of porn and those who practice it. Now, this is what I was telling you about before. It's redundant, but it's true. And I get these young people who want to marry these young girls, and they're all excited, and they hear the guy who's telling the whole life and story, making all these promises, and having all this porn on the side. I'm like, no, I, this porn is a problem. Oh, no, but if I get married, it'll go away. It'll just go away. Or I'm only sleeping with this girl right now because I'm, when I get married someday, I won't have to have that problem anymore. It's a sexual addiction. If you're buying into the psychological model of, of sexual sin, you will be trapped. You just neutered the power of the scripture. You just neutered it. And you destroyed the sacred covenant of marriage, which we have to protect. We're, we're, we're actually mandated to do that. So we have to be careful. It doesn't fix the problem. And I've had, I've told people they can't get married because a person has practicing porn in their life. And I then that falls out on the sister, the, the sister that's trying to just want to get married and do the right thing. And she's trusting next thing you know, she's hurt. Um, so it does happen. It's just FYI. Porn obsessions are always a matter of the heart and revealed in spiritual decay. They reveal the spiritual decay. They reveal the spiritual decay. When things are repeated in Scripture, what does that mean usually? They're that important, aren't they? I just want to say that, that this is that you can't, you can't compartmentalize in your heart your porn obsession and your love for God. Your heart is corrupt. And you've, you've, you deny the deity of Christ when you're practicing idolatry of your own heart. You're worshiping another God. 
I got to get that across to people. This is usually a, a much spiritual decay. And usually almost every person has porn. I can tell you this. I would say 99.9%. Nothing's 100%, right, in this, except for Christ in this word. But 99% of the time, when I get them back engaged into a spiritual disciplines of prayer and study the word of God humbly, they start humbling themselves. They start, they start growing out of their porn and obsession because this becomes, they have so much disdain for that sin. Knowing the holiness of God, they start studying and praying. They're actually talking to the Lord. I'm, I'm having them write them down. I'm having them journal these things. And we discuss what they're praying. Is it, is it just this kind of a rote prayer? Are you really engaging with God? It's huge. It's huge. I see it all the time. I see it all the time. And it's just such a blessing to see them just work out of that. It's not something that happens to you. Porn is something that's happening in you. Okay? It's spiritual. Porn is very common to those who live a secret life of the flesh. It's just common. So, oh, man, I can't believe this. No, it, it's, it, you can believe it. They had about maybe an external religiosity, a great Bible, at the most brand-new Bible, the, the, really the, the best study Bible there is. They are under, sitting under the best exposition. They're sitting, I mean, they're in a, one of the greatest churches in Lynchburg. I'm not lying about that either. And yet they have all these problems. Yep, it's, it's an indicator of their own flesh heart they're carnal so it's just something that can be corrected if they're willing to repent don't panic it wasn't directed for you so don't over overreact to that you destroy the marriage that your kids are depending on your grandkids and so forth porn is not an exception or excuse for divorce i just mentioned that before there can be repentance and forgiveness and i see quite a few people who don't panic one last story, and then we're going to switch because i got two minutes. Um, the pastor called me in Kansas one time. I was still at the seminary at Calvary University. And he said, man, i got to, I got to have your help. Why do you need my help? Well, because I've been counseling this guy because he took my class. I taught him how to do counseling. He said, this guy is really, really bad. He's got nine kids, and they're all girls. And his wife, their homeschool, his wife, and, and He's got so many prostitutes that, you know, just he keeps saying he's going to repent. He keeps going back to it. And he's an Army guy. He was a major in the Army. And he had a really big job and secret job. And he built cities in Kansas that were exact replicas of where they were going to invade in Iraq and Afghanistan. So they knew what houses and what position they were in. He, he would build, and our money, tax money, they would build these homes and these villages Exactly like the the, the uh, pictures they took from space. That was his job. And he just kept going back and back and back over and over and over again. And even times when he'd take the, she'd take the girls to the park, he would he would invite these um, prostitutes to come in and clean his house naked. I mean he was he was pretty wretched. And so I I'll tell you right now, I just I was like, wow, I don't know, man. He said, if he's not gonna repent, there's not much you can do. And it's like the fifth time that she's forgiven him, and he's back practicing again. So long story short, um, he did go to um, Pure Life Ministries, and he did repent. And um, so he went back home, and anyway, he came back in for some accountability. The elders worked with him some more. He did repent after nine months of being away with the family. Church paid all their bills for nine months to, to, to care of the family. 
And, uh, and when he came back, he repented. And we went and visited. I think I spoke there one night at the church. We went and saw them, and they were holding hands. And anyway, as of last week, because I thought I'm going to tell that story, I, went, I called him, and he's still serving in the church. And, is, and they're still in married, and they're still, and that was in 2014. So the guy who really has repented, I mean, it can happen. I didn't think it would happen with him. I really didn't. But people can repent when they're really serious about it. And sometimes they're trapped. Uh, and one of the things I did was I resurrected all the names of his, all of his prostitutes, and I made him rename them all of his children. And he actually threw up in my office. He was so sick. And I said, well, they're somebody's children somebody's children you're taking advantage of. And he just vomited, weeping, screaming, I don't want to do this. I can't, it's not right. You know, I know that some parents saying the same thing about you. That's right. Anyway, I worked with him for about a year, but he went to new, uh, pure life and he did repent. Don't take it personal. I know you, it's hard to say that, but don't buy into their sin. This is your sin. Now we need to deal with this because we have to protect our, our marriage. And, uh, and have, a, have a biblical you know, framework of how you deal with that. Questions, thoughts, real quick before we transition. I say this when your spouse, this is my quote at the end, when your spouse is caught in sexual sin, commit to forgive. Forgive them as Christ forgave you. You have to. Be diligent in reconciling. Do your part. Work at it. Um, for your marriage, for the God's glory, and then never allow yourself to be to act like a victim or judge or a judge because of his sin. You know, if you want him to pay penance because he's so bad, you're going to lose. You're losing because you've just decreased and minimized and desecrated the atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross. He died for that sin. He was punished for that sin. He atoned for God on that sin. And so you don't need to punish him for that. It's enough punishment to know that a sinless person (coughs) took my sin it shames them. It really, they don't mind jumping through hoops. They want you to beat them up. They want you to treat them bad. They want you to kick them out. If that's all it takes, but for me to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ, perfect, innocent, who loved me first while I was a sinner, is, it will break his heart. It will break his heart. Anybody has a comment, thought? So I do. Yeah. If you, um, so we have ladies in here of all ages, maybe dating, yep. fiance, years, marriage, newlyweds. I mean, we hear um, that men are supposed to go to men. Are you recommending that women ask their spouses to, you know, are there, is this an area that they're dealing with? That's a good, that's a good question. When you're caught, and so I'm wondering when you're caught, uh, that means you see them doing something, or you might think they're doing something. Yeah. Maybe, so what, I mean. Yeah, no, I think it's a good if question. They, if they're living a secret life. You might just, the best way of doing that is just making it as gentle as you can. Like, hey, is there... Do you, are you struggling in this area? Because it's typical that men do that. Mm-hmm. Are you struggling with this? Is there any way I can help you with that if you want to talk about it? You know, I'd love to be able to help you, you know, because the Lord loves you and he's our family and he wants to destroy our family over this. But if you're dealing with him, that, sometimes it's just a matter of, hey, what do you think about this? Are you, how, what do you think about porn? What do you think about it in general? Mm-hmm. How do you protect yourself from that? You're asking good questions, but you're not indicting them immediately, right? When you don't know what he's doing in secret, you can't indict. Then they become defensive. You've got to be able to say, hey, I want to help you if you're struggling with some of this stuff. Or at what level do you, do you, are you struggling with this? When was the last time you had struggled with that? You, know, you can talk about that. So I'd be gentle about it, but I'd open the conversation while you still have time. Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, they get the ROD when they come to the counseling center, so I just I can't help them. I can't help them. Yeah. Well, they they do, they do, and they lie, they lie, and they they minimize. Well, it's all, it's been a couple months, a couple months, every couple months for. Yeah. Yeah. And not ashamed of asking. Yeah, I would say I would say one step above that. I would say don't be in fear of asking. Yeah. Yeah. So if he's not the right guy for you, let him go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't be in fear of that. You want to have a sacred marriage. You want to have some marriage that is going to honor Christ, and you got to ask the good questions. Mm-hmm. Of course, when we were married, we it was puppy love because we were not saved, and so you know we didn't, we didn't have all those things, and we didn't really care about most of that. But in, your, in, a, in a marriage of where Christ is the center of this thing, I don't even recommend them to the pastors to be married when they, they're going to go through the sacred time of bringing Christ into this and then be shamed later on because of all that and pain and agony. So, yeah, we're very particular about it in the church, but it's really, really common that men will be at least tempted with porn. Yes? Should a spouse repent to the other one about their sexual sin? Because currently, I have a friend in another state who caught her husband in sexual sin. Yeah. Or I'm so sorry. No, he repented to her, and just he just like spills everything. If he had like a lustful thought about someone in the store, or yeah. he saw an ad going down the road, and she's feeling like burdened because she's not dealing with it correctly. Yeah. So I guess like. Is that go marriage to marriage, depending on the church, or should he be taking those things to someone in the church? No, you want, you want to, if you're doing sin, you want to confess it to your wife, okay? That's the first place you stop. But if you're tempted, you take it to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Just remember, temptation, you don't want to burden your wife with every time you're tempted. I was tempted to look at this girl at the gym. I was tempted to see her down. Oh, I went on the road, and there was a lady in a Corvette, and I was just tempted to look. That's destructive, you take that temptation to the Lord. That's not a sin. Jesus was tempted and didn't sin. So you don't, you don't come and dump all that on your spouse when you have to have. There needs to be accountability. It needs to be a, there needs to be a biblical framework for his repentance to walk through that with accountability. But he doesn't need to keep repenting every little thing that runs through her mind. You'll destroy your marriage. Almost everybody who does that destroys their marriage because they can't trust him for anything. I guess they're, they're lusting over everything. They want everything. They want everybody. You know, and it's not true. They're... Their, 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 their body has been they're habituated to that kind of lusting. So automatically they're, they're looking at somebody and they're saying, oh, that's a sweet person. No, they don't do that. They, they look at a person for their own object. And then they have to catch themselves and say, no, no, that's, that's not right. This has honor and please God. And so I need to repent of that. Lord, forgive me. Turn away from that. They're, they take it to the Lord. They need men to be accountable. So they have to be accountable to some men. But you don't take everything home. That's the rule of thumb. I have to know all the circumstances but that's usually the rule of thumb and that way they just keep walking in faithfulness they keep a journal they talk to the lord about it in prayer their studies they have other men that hold them accountable and they are and and now they're restoring trust you spend all your time confessing more sin when it's just temptation and you don't you're not trying to invest in the trust you need to build trust and it takes time that takes two or three years to build trust so you you work on that you're being faithful 
That's a good question. Yeah. So where do you draw the line between like a temptation and a sin? A sin is when you act on it, when you act on the temptation. Yeah. So um, I'm. Oh man, I look at that site and I'm. I'm thinking about it. I was thinking, oh man, I just I want to do that so bad. That's what I've always done, and I, and I can always confess it, Lord. But you know, I mean, He'll forgive me. He's faithful and just. Oh yeah, I can do that. And He quoted Scripture Himself. No, I'm not going to do that. Or yes, I'm going to click. Now you got something to confess. See, so it's just when you act on your temptation. That's now you've sinned. Okay. Yep. But what about the case of looking at a woman and lusting after them? Is that when does that become sin? When you're not ever going to act, but there is sin. Well, you did act because when you looked on a woman, you went the next step, which is to lust. Which is lust means to is to take that vision, that idea, and bring that into a bedroom with yourself. And so that is a time that is sin. So if you're, if, when you're looking at another person and you're tempted to lust, and that's a different thing. Okay? But sometimes they go way too far with that and they play with that in their mind all day. That's sin. And I bust them when I get them in there. We talk about it. And how <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. And so we try to, because, because I want them to be sensitive about this. I, they don't know the difference either. It's like, oh, you know, I didn't really do anything. No, you did everything. Everything your mind wanted to take you to. And that's a sin. That's what Jesus was talking about. That's corruption in your heart. That should, that should be more of a problem for you than what you actually lusted over. That corruption in your heart is revealing who you really are, which no sexual immoral person will enter the kingdom of God. That's a practicing, a practicing immoral person. Okay? Good question. Okay. Yeah. That can overburden and cause so much trouble by saying, sure. and that can just tear it apart. It's what you do beyond that, the next step. Yeah. No, that's right. Yeah, the second look is, yeah, the second look would be basically what I'm talking yeah. about, her, is that now I'm gonna, I want to use this for myself. Yeah. Um, and so I'm trying to teach the men to, when you admire somebody or look at them, you, you're thankful for them immediately that God created him that way. You're thankful for the husband that is married to that person. Or, you know, you're thankful that God is going to bring a husband to that person. And you start praying and being thankful for all these people. And it just dissolves and sanitizes the lust in your heart. So I teach them that later on when they're repenting. So it's important for you not to buy into it and be a victim. Oh, my husband's doing porn and I don't know what to do with him. You need to walk alongside him and help him. Now, Doc... We all know this people. Yeah. But it's the second look. And so giving them a break, giving yourself a break and not taking it internally. Right, and I can ask that question though. Beings on the planet. Yeah. You know, and not causing problems for ourselves and for our marriage and living at peace. Yeah, amen. That's it. So you could ask the question hey, listen, I saw you, we had a guy we confronted uh, in the elders' meeting. We had a guy that was. Another layman said he was looking at women in the church and reported. He didn't know that we had already been helping him with sexual sin. So I, 
I always get the dirty work, right? They say, Mark, you need to go talk to him and see, you know, see what he's saying and stuff. So anyway, I did. And I said, so he's like, no, I, was, I wasn't looking, you know, looking at that way. It was this, what about the second look? You looked at him first time. What was it? What was the second look of, what was that about? You notice I just asked a question. I didn't indict him because I don't want him to get defensive. I want him to open up to me. And he was just like, no, I, I did that a number of times. And of course he did. I didn't know he knew that. Um, but I didn't know he would know I knew that, but the guy told me that. And he's like, no, it wasn't that. It wasn't sexual. And so I said, okay, but I, we need to hold you accountable for that, right? Because your history, yes, it's right. I'm very humble. Uh, I'm going to guard my heart on that too, make sure. So that was a good confrontation, but you don't have to indict somebody. So I know you're doing porn. I know you're looking at that person. I know you did this to them and that. I know that you're lusting after these men. I know you want all these men. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. You ask questions. Are you struggling here? Is this a problem for you? And it's helpful because let me tell you something. You become part of the problem. Though. Now they know why their marriage is, they're, dis, they're disgusted or discontent with their marriage if you're going to treat them that way. You just, you, you take away all their excuses by being kind and gentle. Trust in the Lord. You only need Jesus. Right? Okay. All right, let's uh, transition a little bit. Let's go to, to the um, book review, the high call for, for women, and we'll, we'll cover a couple of these questions while we have time. I want to just say a couple of quick things he says in the very beginning of the book. In 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 15, and verse 15 is very difficult. Exegetically, a lot of people disagree with this verse 15, 215. We'll get to it in a minute. Uh, but the idea... Uh, behind this is, first of all, hermeneutics. Excuse me. Hermeneutics is the, is the biggest problem in Christianity. All right? There's two big problems in Christianity. One is people don't understand justification. And the other one is people don't understand hermeneutics. Those are the two biggest problems. There's all kinds of hermeneutics. You know, you got Joseph Smith hermeneutics. You got uh, the Vatican hermeneutics, the Vaticanus. You got... You know, you got Muslim hermeneutics. That means how they interpret the scripture. You got all kinds of them. There's five ancient heresies, and I don't have time to go over them, but basically hermeneutics is the most challenging thing. That's what makes all these denominations. The most common one that we would know from our Presbyterian friends is, is what we call Christocentric hermeneutics, where they have to see Christ in everything. Where Christ is not even mentioned, and he's talking about something historical where the blood line of Christ came through, but he's talking about something. I mean, the whole theme of the scripture is about Christ, but in, in hermeneutics, you know, when you're looking at how to interpret this, interpret this people want to believe and build this in. There's, there's Wesleyan tradition hermeneutics, so I want to make sure that I'm honoring the holiness movement. There's all kinds of lenses by which people interpret the scripture. This is what I love about the reform. This is what drove me crazy as a Nazarene, is that they had all kinds of, they had five, uh, no, the quadrilateral, there was four ways to know what truth is. And there's only one truth, and it's the scripture. That's it. And we know that. I didn't, I mean, as a, as a pastor and elder in the Nazarene church, I was like, how come you guys don't see that the Bible is the only truth? You know, I mean, I'd argue with them all the time. Well, this is where the, this is where the difference is, and I'll show you. The difference is in homiletics, and now is how we deliver and, and teach. That's not, our, that's not our forte. We want to learn how to interpret the scripture. And I'm thankful that we got a bunch of good men that are trained to interpret the scripture. 
you're safer when you got men that know how to interpret the scripture. They're not twisting it. They're not trying to embellish it. They interpret the scripture. You need to know what God meant by what he said. So proper hermeneutics is a discipline of interpreting the scripture. And here it is. Three things is what we believe. Literal, historical, and grammatical. That's how we look at the scripture. In other words, you're extracting. That's what it means to extract truth. Exegete the passage to extract. Pastor does this every week. That's what's so laborious about this whole process. He's in there. He labors at trying to get the text right. Working overtime. Thinking about it. Working on it. Interpreting the text. He's not going to a commentary and taking everybody's word for it. He's going down deep into the fiber of this thing. And so what did he mean this? Who was he talking to? Why was this happening? He asked a million questions. Now, the reason I say that is because he brings us out in this chapter in the very beginning is why there are so many people teaching, women teaching in the church. Why is the, the women attending seminary growing every year? Why is there more TV shows on women preaching than any time, ever, ever in history? Um, because, because there's bad hermeneutics, Okay. And the hermeneutics, the worst one, is really like an eisegesis kind that I'll just interpret it. The spirit will just tell me what he means, and I'll just go with that. That's a charismatic way. So there is a real good literal way and grammatical way of understanding the scripture. You can learn some of that. We teach those. I would, I would suggest that you go to our, our um, equipping classes and take systematic theology and take hermeneutics. Sometimes pastor teaches hermeneutics. Uh, You've got to learn these things over and over and over again, you know, and it helps you yourself because the more you can solidify that in your own heart, the more peace you have in your own life. That's true. Peace comes from you under believing what the text says, trusting that God is saying it, and then you don't have to be in, a, in constant turmoil when you're trying to believe something else. We're telling you that you're suffering because God has a plan for that. You can walk through that. We're saying that you're going to be challenged and tested in your life. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah, you will be. But God is with you. He's faithful. He's using it for a purpose. He's growing you up. He's sanctifying you. When you learn all these things, all of a sudden you're just sort of, you know, it's like you're, you're not really buying into the chaos of the world. Okay? So you have to be a good student. And you, just because you're not teaching from the pulpit doesn't mean you can't understand Good theology. What I love about my wife, while I was still a Wesleyan, she was very Calvinistic, very much into systematic theology, studying all the right books, reading all the Puritans, reading all the right stuff. And then she would gently debate me, and then sometimes it didn't turn out very gently. But we, uh, yeah, because I was defensive about my position, right? <clears throat> but uh, but but my kids just had a kick off. They're like, man, you guys are funny, you know? You're so committed to each other, but you just. You just fight all the time about theology, you know. So, but the thing is, what happened was she ended up taking theology at the seminary. At uh, at the seminary, she took theology. You can take theology, you just can't take a divinity class. But you can take theology. So she went into the masters of theology, which was helpful. It was helpful for me. She helped me in the early stages while I was going to school, back to school. That helped me work through some of that. You can be an instrument for good theology to your own husband. You should be. You should be. Because God is using him to lead the family, and you want him to have a biblical framework. And I know a lot of your husbands, and I know the weak armor in some of them, okay? I know some of the weaknesses. you got a lot of work to do in some areas. But keep them engaged. Ask good questions. 
Cindy just asked me questions that were brutal. I didn't want to answer. But she asked me good questions, required me to go back and look it up and see what the, what is, what is this really saying? What did God really, how is really interpreting this way? And it's really helpful. Proper hermeneutics is important. Let's take a book review now as we talk together. I know, um, let me just cover this as we get down to this. Um, I want to get to the questions, the group discussion questions. Okay? Um, I'm just going to answer a couple of them while we got time. The first one was um, in reference to page 118. Um, can somebody turn to what, what does it say? Because I got the different book, I think. Um, what is page 118? Is Christy, you have a reference for that? Well, let me give the context of that. Okay, so it's not 118. Let me give you the context for that. So for a wife, Eve, Eve went chose to go around and come out from under the um, safety. 253? 253. 254. Eve, Eve decided to work with the devil, listen to the devil, make actions, and just drag her weak, silly, weak, pitiful husband along with him. And so she went around him and came out from under the leadership of, of Adam and decided to do something. That's what happens. Just try to remember that. You're working independent of your husband. It's, you're going you're, you're gonna to be trapped. Okay, you're going to be trapped. So, um, and the point is, so if you don't have a husband, then how can you be under the, under, you're under what umbrella of safety? Well, the question, here's the, here's the answer to that. The answer is that spiritually speaking, because the husband has rights to your body, the husband has leadership in the home, the husband has lots of, you know, lots of responsibilities with you and the family as the leader of the home. But spiritually speaking, you're under the leadership of the church. So we protect you spiritually in the church. So we don't want you to marry somebody you shouldn't if it's going to hurt you. We are very discerning about your spiritual life. Now, we're telling you, we're not telling you what kind of car to buy or who to date or not. We're not jumping into your life uh, personally like your husband may. But as spiritually speaking, we want what's best for you. And you, if you're not a married lady, you should, you should very much trust the shepherd that's over you. You should trust the shepherd that's over you. Now, sometimes you have good family. Some people don't. They're here. Families are not here. And so they have to trust their shepherd. But if you have good mom and dad, they want to help you engage, even if you're in your 20s. It's, it's helpful. That's good. But spiritually speaking, your pastors have run to have to, to answer for your soul. So just remember that. Um, quick testimony. Um, Cindy and I had a lady that we, we met at the church in Kansas City. It was our uh, Brett Kopranik's church. And um, she just got out of prison. And you would never think that this lady was in prison. She was an RN in a hospital, and she was stealing medicine from a lot of the good medicine, hydrocodone and all the Oxycontin and all that. And she got caught stealing medicine from them, and she got, she got sent to two years. Her husband left her, divorced her and left her, gone. By the time we got there, she had already been there about a year, and she, somebody shared the gospel with her in, in prison. And she said, i got to find a church. That's what he told me to do. And so that church happened to be right down the street, so she went to Copernicus Church. Long story short, her husband saw the change in her life, which was magnificent change. And everything, no cursing, her way she dressed and the way she carried herself, the love, the tenderness, Everything they had one child between them, and he, they would he would come out and get the child in custody, 
And finally he came to the church and said, wait, well, actually he knew that she was in counseling. And he said, uh, I want to talk to Mark about, about, your, about marrying, us being our, our marriage. And she said, we're not married. And so you couldn't talk to him. So he came in and I said, look, you divorced her, so it's, he's, you're divorced. He goes, no, once we're married, always married. And so we're, you know, I want her back and blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, she's under the care of our pastors and elders. Plain and simple. If you want to appeal to the pastor, I can make an appointment for that. It wasn't for a year later that he came to faith in Christ. We just held him at bay. He finally came to faith in Christ and changed like crazy. Tender-hearted, just submissive to the elders. Let him just, whatever you think is right, I won't marry you right now if you don't think it's right, you know. And just growing like a weed. And anyway, they did the marriage, and then now they have four kids today. They're still in the, in the, helping the teens, working hard, but we protected her all the way through the process. I believe that we did a lot with Carrie like that, too. I'm not sure, but did we, did we Carrie? I don't know. But, you know, we would, we, I mean, there wasn't much to protect. She's always cooking, okay? But, I mean, it's like there's no damage and there's no, uh, nothing to worry about. She's down there cooking, okay? But I'm just saying, you know, it was always our discussion is that, man, you know, we got to pray for these single moms and these young ladies and that are, that are looking, you know, we got to protect them. That's our, our job, not to control them, but to protect them. That's the answer to that. Here's a question, the book, group discovery question. Um, if you look on that number 15, I think it is number 13, what are some ways that women can use their spiritual gifts yet still fulfill the teaching of 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 11? There's restrictions there. But how could they fulfill, fulfill some of their spiritual gifts in the church? We're going to talk more about that again next time because I'm summarizing the last two chapters. What do you think about that? There are some places women can serve in the church. Even though they're not supposed to teach men, you know, they have to have authority over men. Children's ministry. Yes, that's one. Yes? Who said? Did you? Yeah, I was oh. I, I, I can relate to that myself. I see it. That's good. Thank you, Joyce. That's sweet. I mean, where can they teach? They can teach other women. Yeah. Yeah, you need to be investing in other women. That's one of the reasons I really wanted you to take this serious because you can use the book to mentor and help other women in the church, especially brand new in the faith. It's all new. Submit to who? We did a wedding one time where Liddy just held a sign while I'm doing the wedding. And it said, no submit, no submit. I was like, what is, where did this nutcase come from? I mean, I'm like, I'm like, we just went over the biblical roles. We just went through this whole thing. And like, and she's like, no submit. She didn't want to submit to her husband. And you know what? That, that ended in divorce eventually after we left. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was brutal. But there are places you can, you can actually train. You can actually learn to teach. I can remember even in one of the churches I pastored, Cindy was training five ladies to do Bible studies. And they would meet together and they'd go through books together. And she was teaching them how to organize a lesson and and it was really helpful because you can teach. We want you to teach. We want you to teach children, teach other women. There's a lot of places you can engage in in ministry. You can serve. 
He said there were some likes and that we have of men. What are some of the things that we have in common with men in the book? Do you remember? What are some of the things we have in common? We, we can we're, we can do equally with the men. I might be asking the question wrong, but <clears throat> one of them was that we we can still repent of our own sin. We can still we can still get forgiveness, and we have grace, and we have the, we serve and worship the same Lord. We pray. We pray. We can pray. Husbands pray, but we can pray. We can. We have the same privileges um, when it comes to our justification, our new life in Christ, and so we have to major. We have to major on the right things in our life rather than deciding what we don't have. And charismatic women are pretty offended that they don't have equal rights being egalitarian. So, um, yeah, just, just know that you have a lot of things in common uh, with your husband. You worship together. You read the, you can, the, the, all the promises in Scripture for you, too. Like it doesn't have to be filtered through your husband. There are promises for you. Um, and then, you know, you've got the same inheritance in heaven that your husband has. There's some there's some wonderful things that are happening. We just we're very we just very conscious that your gender was not random. God specifically wanted to use you for one particular purpose in life, and you have to you have to understand that that was divine, that was supernatural. Okay, so a lot of men don't want to be men. They don't want to they want to play. They don't want to actually be responsible and work, and you know and suffer and sacrifice for the family. They'd rather just, oh, I'd rather just do laundry. Like, that's easy. I'm not saying it is easy. I shouldn't use laundry. Okay. I just don't, she won't teach me how to use the machine. She goes, no, you push the buttons too hard, and I'm not, I don't. I said, okay, so I don't know how to do it. I, every time I want to use something and Cindy's not there, I usually text Emmy, and I ask her, Emmy, what is this? I took a picture of it. Hey, what do you think of that? Mark, that's, that's an on and off button. Just push that one in. <laughs> Now I can bug uh, Carrie in the back a little bit. But anyway, yeah, don't focus on the negatives. Be positive about what God has done for you personally. You are the oneness. Remember that. It takes you to be that magnificent oneness in your family. So don't be afraid to confront. Don't be afraid to ask good questions. Don't be afraid to, don't be afraid of your husband. Don't be afraid of him ever. Fear God. You can ask them good questions, okay? That's important, all right? You want, they want to grow, too. They need to grow, all right? And you're part of the solution. You're part of the problem, but you're also part of the solution in life, right? Any other final thoughts, questions? Anybody? I think I would just like to say that it's really not a competition. Yeah. You know, I think some women struggle good. with feeling like they need to compete in certain areas of their husband. And it's really not a competition. And I think if... The woman, the wife, will look at her role as Matasso, you know. I mean, that's how I am with Brian. You know, I, I come up underneath him and help him. Yeah. I do everything I can to make him successful. And I think if, you know, if you don't have to worry about or feel like you're in a competition, do you understand what I'm No, that makes sense. And it's it's yeah. a different shift. It's, it's turning the dial a little bit to think differently. Yeah. Because you're not in this competition. You know, you're not trying to be a man. Yeah, yeah. When you know your role really well, then your husband is elevated, says you bring glory to him. And that's how you do it, by functioning in your role really well. And don't let him and his weakness get you off track. And I'll say this too. You know, I don't always please Brian. There are 
there's lots of things I do that don't make him very happy. But as much as I want to please him, my ultimate person I want to please is Christ with my life. Does that, you know what I'm saying? That's good. Well, that's where you're supposed to be. You got any dirt on him that we could... (laughs) Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> All right, praise the Lord. Good. Hey, thank you guys for being here. And what a blessing. Thanks for taking it serious anyway. And um It's our goal. We don't do this perfect all the time. Okay, we're not all Tracys. We can't do this all the time. So we're going to try the best. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to ask. I don't want to ask Brian because it might turn into a counseling session. I don't, I don't want that. Yeah. Good. Oh man. Yeah. I can't, I'm not even allowed in the kitchen. I mean, it's like, man, you break something. Get out of here. You know. Okay, I'm going to pray. Thank you, guys. I'm gonna, and Maddie will send... Is Maddie here? Okay. I'll, Maddie will send the homework to you, uh, but it's really reading 7 and 8, or 8 and 9, rather, the last two chapters. And maybe the woman um, in pornography, look at that section. Maybe some feedback, if you would, on the four-page Okay? Wait, can I the mm-hmm. That's our last yeah, next week. Next two weeks. Uh, the 28th, I think it's our last session. Okay? So, end well. Okay? Work at it. Okay? Good. Father, we're grateful again for this uh, time in the Word and sharing, reflecting. I do pray that you'll protect the marriages in this room from the evil one. I do pray that we will get out of the way of what you're actually doing in there and not take it personal. That our other centeredness, our selflessness, will rise up and be a servant in that home uh, to, to help our spouse to help the children to fulfill their, your, the call to serve. And so I thank you for my sisters in this room and their dedication. And those who are still starting out, give them extra grace and love for the word of God to start there and to honor you um, with their service as well. We love you and praise you. Pray for our pastor and all the elders in the church who are leading us. We know the devil hates us. And uh, so... Uh, we pray that you will just help us. We, we, we're calling out on you, Lord, to help us. Just like uh, Israel is depending on God. They're fighting as if they're depending on you. We want to fight for our own marriages as it depends completely on you as well. We love you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you.